Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam Laws of Shabbos, Perik Sheni, Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is all about Shabbos and illness, Shabbos and danger of life. Aleph, the first halacha, Dichuya he Shabbos Eitzel Sakonis Nefoshes Kishar Kola Mitzvus. The laws of Shabbos are suspended whenever there is a danger of life and death, as are the obligations of all other mitzvahs, because life and death supersedes mitzvahs. So Shabbos may be violated if we're talking about saving a life. And the commentaries point out that there are two expressions that can be used here. One is dechuya, which means that the Shabbos is pushed away, or the danger of life and death supersedes the Shabbos. Another more liberal expression would have been hutra, that the Shabbos is, is just, everything becomes permissible. And that's not the expression that Rambam chooses, but rather the Shabbos is superseded, and therefore it is superseded when necessary, abundantly, but not unnecessarily. Lefikah, therefore, if there is a person who is seriously ill, or the word sakona means dangerously ill, we do whatever it is he needs to be done on Shabbos. Who decides danger of life and death? A well-trained physician. Do you have to go to the Mayo Clinic? No. Wherever you are, you take the best doctor that you can have, a well-trained, respected doctor in the community. You don't need a specialist from far away. That is a chola sheyeshbo sakona, a sick person who is in a possible life and death danger. Sofik shutzarech lechalel olaves hashabes sofik sheinetzarech. Moving down to a lesser case, what if you're not sure whether his life is in danger or not? Maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. So therefore, you're not sure if you should violate the Shabbos or not. To doubt. If the doctor says, yes, you must transgress the Shabbos. Urgent. Another doctor says, not so terrible. You don't need, you know, the doctors have been known to disagree from time to time. Once or twice. A doubtful danger is enough of a danger to violate Shabbos. You have to violate the Shabbos, even though you're not sure. One doctor says yes, one doctor says no. Why? And here's a very important rule. Shesofik nefoshes deiche es ha-Shabbos. When in doubt, you're not sure, but it could possibly be an endangerment of life, you must violate the Shabbos and save a life. Classical example. You're in a uh, synagogue. You're in a house. Somebody falls over. And you don't have a doctor present. 
I mean, if you have a doctor present, let the doctor check him out. Then you can sue the doctor later. I'm just kidding. We never sue the doctor. Uh, what if somebody just falls over? What do you do? You say, well, maybe he had a heart attack, God forbid. I better call 911. On the other hand, maybe he fainted. And I shouldn't call 911. The answer is, you're not a doctor. Call 911. But maybe he's okay. But maybe he's not. That's the classical example. Bayes 2. Amaduha. Biyem hashabas. If it was determined on Shabbos that the person needs a certain treatment which violates Shabbos and he needs it for eight days for the next eight days I want you to do this and this the doctor says and whatever this and this is violates Shabbos Shabbos now, this happened Saturday morning. It would be a good thing to say, yes, we'll do the treatment, we'll begin Saturday night. So that we have only one Shabbat in the eight days, and not two. Sounds logical, right? No. Not logical. Ela maschilin mehayim shu Shabbos. You start from now. Because you don't know what's going to be. The doctor says, do it, you do it. Or mechalin olav, and if need be... One, we desecrate for this person a filomea Shabbos, even a hundred Shabboses. A hundred Shabbatot. Kozman, Shehutzorich, as long as responsible physicians say this is necessary, and he's in a state of danger, a fake Sakona or doubtful danger, we transgress and violate the Shabbos, and we do everything we have to do because. We are engaged in life-saving activity. To the extent that you can light a candle if you need to. You can extinguish the candle if you need to. And you can slaughter an animal to prepare it to be eaten if you need to. And you can bake. You can cook. On the Cham and Lecham, you could boil water. Could they lashkeise to give him to drink? Bein lechitzes gufay or to bathe him? And we just enumerated one Shabbos labor after the other. Boom, boom, boom. You could do anything. Klole shodover. The bottom line is, and this is a famous expression: Shabbos legabe chaylish yesh beisakono. That the Shabbos relative to a person who is in a life and death. Illness should be viewed as weekday relative to all this person's needs. Now, it doesn't mean it should be viewed as weekday, period. But relative to this person's needs, you do what you have to do. And you don't hesitate. Now, who does it? And I shared a, a childhood memory about my father. I'll, I'll share it again. That I was a child in shul and somebody fainted. And my father, who was the rabbi in shul in, 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 in New Jersey, went over to the phone and dialed the operator. 
and uh, asked for an ambulance. That was before they knew the number to 911. And the ambulance came, and it turned out the guy was okay, and uh, whatever it is, they gave him a little schmeck topic, and he was fine. So a little kichel and herring uh, is called kichel herring therapy. A little scotch, and he was back to himself. No problem. So I said to my father, I don't understand. This guy was really good. He was fine. Did you need to make the call? Why didn't you ask somebody else to make the call? There are so many non-rabbinic figures in the synagogue who are not that meticulous in their observance. He said, when it comes to the possibility of saving a life, halacha mandates that the greatest person present should violate the Shabbos. He says, I, I, I don't know if I'm the greatest or not, he says, but you don't hesitate to walk over and pick up the phone. Chas shalom, you should delay for even one minute and have somebody of, of, of supposedly, allegedly, in America everything is alleged, allegedly lesser stature. And that's the halacha gimel. When we do these things, which things? Saving lives. We don't do them. You don't have to go search for a non-Jew. In many halachas, it's preferable to have a non-Jew do the violation. And, and as the commentaries discuss, in this case it's also preferable. Except we don't want to go running for looking for one. So if there's one right there, why not? But train yourself just to make that call, just to do it. Don't train yourself to look for an Andrew. By the way, in stuff that you can prepare in advance, it's better to use an Andrew. I'll give you an interesting example, which has become part of the day-to-day halacha in the system today. As we will learn, when a woman is pregnant and she's about to go into labor, and she goes into labor, that's called life and death. You, know, you don't fool around with that. What do you do? What do you do? You go to the hospital. How do you get to the hospital? You, you do whatever you have to do. The, the husband drives the wife to the hospital. Better if a taxi is taken. If it can be arranged before Shabbos. That if this and this call come, whatever the situation is. Better the driver should be a non-Jew. Only if it can be arranged ahead of time. Only if we're not delaying anything. But if we're delaying, you get into the car and you go, emergency, no problem. So there's this cute, adorable story, which I'm sure has happened many times. That they know that the labor is intensifying, they know they have time. They pick up the the phone and they call the cab company and they say, please, my wife is in labor, can you please send a, a taxi to this and this address? And by the way, if you can, send me a driver who's not Jewish. Anyway, the driver comes a few minutes later, and uh, they, they get into the taxi, and they hear the dispatcher over the radio say to the driver, so did you pick up that anti-Semite yet? <laughs> they don't want Jewish drivers. That's just uh, from our lighter side department. So, when you do stuff like this, you don't have to go look for non-Jews. You don't go look for a child. An Ebed, we learned that a slave who belongs to a Jew during the time when slavery was pervasive, he's a Jew. Or you say that women have less obligations in certain mitzvahs. Let's, 
You don't look for anyone that has lesser obligations. Kedei shalei tehei Shabbos kala b'neim. Why? Because we don't want later that this child, or whoever it is you're going to get, should say, well, Shabbos is not that important for me, because I was asked to do so and so. Bad lesson. Let the greatest leader within Israel violate the Shabbos to possibly save a life. One may not procrastinate. One may not tarry, hesitate. To desecrate the Shabbos. If a person is ill with a possible danger of life. Shenemar, as the Pesach says, These are the commandments that man will engage in. And live with them, live by them. Not God forbid to die. You don't die doing Torah. You live by Torah. Or everything is suspended when it comes to possible life endangerment. And I know as a son of a very illustrious Hasid and Rabbi, my father, used to always encourage us whenever we asked him a question, before the situation, after the situation, to take the most lenient approach in every type of scenario possible. And the buzzword is possible. Keyword possible, life endangerment. When in doubt, do. Don't try and be meticulously religious in this setting. Be religious in other settings. Very important. So we learn the laws of Torah, the judgment of Torah are not cruel to the world. They don't bring vengeance to the world. They bring compassion, kindness, and peace to the world. And these heretics who say what are you desecrating the Shabbos for? You'd be a little patient. It'll be good. The author is forbidden to violate the Shabbos, says the Rambam, they are heretics, and they're wrong. That as a punishment, I gave them harmful laws and judgments through which they cannot live. And the Rambam seems to be interpreting this verse to mean that these individuals purposely or purposefully misinterpret the Torah. So God causes their misinterpretations to be cruel and harsh, so they will not live and spread such an approach. It's a terrible, terrible teaching. Dalit for Hacheshis Be'enov, if anybody has any eye issues, the who meaning Sheyyah Bishteim, that he has in both eyes a Ba'achas Mehem, or in one eye, Tzir, like a Secretion, or tears flow because of the great pain. His eyes are massive, are, are seriously tearing. Or blood flows from them. Or they're affected by other illnesses, by a serious fever of sorts. 
Anything I related should be taken very seriously. And it falls into a category of life endangerment. And you violate the Shabbos. And you do anything and everything you have to do for the healing perspective. Because eye ailment is an important category according to Halacha. But if it's better and it's almost healed, then obviously you have to make sure there is some level of endangerment before you can violate the Shabbos. So also, similarly, if there's anything internally wrong within the body, whether it's in the mouth, or in the intestines, whether it's in the Liver, any any type of digestive organ, liver, spleen, whenever it's internal, this would be considered a, a sick man who is in danger because internal issues are possibly very serious. And you don't need to diagnose and say that this is serious. Therefore, even without an assessment, you can violate the Shabbos because it's very difficult to superficially diagnose any internal issue. A wound on the back of the hand or the back of the foot should be treated like a wound in the body cavity, and doesn't need a special physician's assessment, and you can also desecrate Shabbos, because that's a sensitive area. A fever that causes the flesh to wince, like a malaria that causes fever and chills, God forbid. It's also similar to a cavity illness, a wound, and you desecrate the Shabbos. So also, any illness, where the physicians say, there is a danger, even though it's in the external skin, but the physician says, this could be dangerous. Mechal and all of us, Shabbos al you follow what the physician says, and you immediately violate the Shabbos. Just to, to, to pause for a moment, and just to make an observation. In the world we live in today, you have very, very Sabbath-observant communities, very religious observant people who meticulously observe every detail of Shabbos, who carry either beepers or beepers are out of style, cell phones, other forms of communication on Shabbos. They're involved with Hatzola. They respond to calls. Any call is responded to. They drive their Hatzola ambulance to the site of the call. If it turns out to be nothing, they drive the ambulance back on Shabbos in order to be prepared for the next call. So this is how seriously we take all of this stuff. 
It's not a joke. You say, okay, this wasn't an emergency. I'll leave the ambulance a mile away. If the next emergency comes, I'll come, I'll go get the ambulance. That's insane. It's also irresponsible. So that was just an interruption within the flow of the teachings of the Rambam to show contemporary observance of these halachas. Six, when somebody swallows a leech. And that's not good, unless it's chocolate, but a regular leech. You can boil water on Shabbos. I guess you've got to drink hot water to cook the leech. I'm not sure. You do whatever the doctor says. Because it's, to quote Alfredo here, a rabid dog bit someone. Or any of the poisonous snakes, shememisim, reptiles that kill. Someone got bit by an alligator. That could ruin your whole day. Even though you're not sure, is this a poisonous, or is it not poisonous? Is it a killer dog, is it not? You don't wait to find out, you do everything you have to do. I guess you get him a, what, a, a tetanus shot, you get him a rabies shot, uh, you do whatever you have to do to treat the guy, you give him an antidote and so on. Zayin, chaylesh, from the hobby what if the doctors assess a particular person and they say he needs immediately to digest a fig? Get him a fig. Ten people charge out in all directions to bring figs. You only need one, by the way. But everybody's eager to help. Ten people simultaneously come in with ten figs. They all are not considered violators of Shabbos. They are not liable for anything. Even if they brought one after the other, after the other. Even if the guy ate the first fig, and he's better. And he's playing Mahjong already by the time the third guy comes in. And then the tenth guy comes in. They all went on the mission with 100% permission of aloha, we don't know how long the first one is going to take, we need a fig and we need it quick. Which again shows you the spirit of these laws. Eight, what if a, a person needs, a sick person, a patient needs two figs? I hope the doctors here are listening, figs is the answer. <laughs> Forget the penicillin, figs! They found two figs on two separate stems. As we know, and as we will know, the violation is removing any fruit, any food from, dislodging it from the ground, uprooting. So here there are two figs connected to two separate stems. That would be two uprootings. Then there's another stem which is growing three figs. So here's my question. Should I pull the stem that has the three figs and now I remove three figs from its connection to the earth? Or should I pull two separate stems? But then I would be doing two. That's the question. It's better to cut the stem that has the three figs, because it's one cut. 
even though you only need two, and here you're uprooting three. Because we don't want that action of gleaning, which is an outgrowth of one of the malachas, but you rather do one. And not two. And similarly speaking, any parallel situation, this would be the halacha. What if somebody's cooking for a patient on Shabbos? He's a patient who is in danger, life and death, so it's permissible to cook for him. But, you know, they're making a good chont, and it smells good. And the patient ate, and left over. The question is, I am the caretaker, I'm the cousin who's staying with the patient. Can I have some? The answer is no. Also, the body, it's forbidden for a healthy person, lechom in our to eat what's left over. Why? It's already cooked. What's the big deal? Gzeda, because we're concerned. Our sages instituted a decree. Shemayarba bishvilei. When you go cook, you'll cook more. So all the friends and family could have some. If you know the halach is you can't have, you'll never cook more. But ordinarily, when somebody cooks something on Shabbos, it's questionable whether you can even have it after Shabbos. Ordinarily, when somebody brings something on Shabbos, it's questionable whether you can use it after Shabbos. You certainly have to wait until the time passes that you could have brought it after Shabbos. Here, many of these laws are looked upon in a more lenient manner, but we'll talk about that. However, when somebody slaughters an animal for somebody who's sick on Shabbos, yes, you're not allowed to eat from cooked, but slaughter to slaughter. You can't slaughter a half animal. You can't slaughter one steak. Theoretically, if he wants to have a little taste of raw meat, which again, the question is, should you, shouldn't you, can you, can't you, uh, did you kosher it? Did you not kosher it? But technically, that's not a problem. Because you can't increase. Because slaughtering is slaughtering. Any parallel law should be treated the same way. So all of the above is how we deal with life and death patients. However, getting out of the ICU, going into the regular floor... What if there's a patient who's not in a life and death danger? He's moved out of the ICU. He's okay. He's stable. Here, the guy still needs to be taken care of. You do everything you have to. Preferably have a non-Jew do it rather than a Jew violating the Shabbos. And we're going to learn that non-Jews can't violate Shabbos for Jews either. Under many circumstances. There's a whole set of laws about that. But certainly, if there's no emergency, it's preferable that a non-Jew do it to having a Jew do it. Ketzad, how does it work? Even though ordinarily you can't directly tell the non-Jew to violate Shabbos, you have to be indirect. Here you can be direct. And you can do. To cook for him. To bake. To bring. Refuah. 
medicine, mirshus l'rshus, from one domain to the other in a place that has no eruv, or kayetze bo'elu, and similar. V'chein, so also, k'yichal enov, menanachi b'shabbos, one may have his eyes treated, eye treatment, by the non-Jew, even though there's no danger, you can wait for the treatment till after Shabbos. But if he needs things that are not labor-related, Shabbos violation labor-related, even an Israelite could do it. Therefore, Malin Oznaim B'Shabbos Umalin it's permitted to perform physical activities for the benefit of the sick. For example, one can lift the tendons of the ears, lift up cartilage around the heart, restore broken bones to their places, and perform other activities or the like. All of these are medical procedures. It's not life and death, but still, why not? What about childbirth? Childbirth is a whole different ballgame. 11. When a woman is in process of childbirth, and he uses the expression, she squats to give birth. Back then, or when she goes into active labor, so to speak, she is in a state of life and death endangerment. You can and must violate the Shabbos. A midwife could be called, and the midwife could travel from a distant place. And the umbilical cord may be cut. These are all violations of Shabbos. We're going to learn that tying is a violation of Shabbos. When she's screaming hysterically, she says, it's dark in here, I need a candle, light a candle, light a candle, what's a candle going to do for you? What? I mean, unless it's, uh, you know, a cannabis candle, but uh, just a plain candle. The answer is, if it calms her, do it. Violate the Shabbos, light the candle, but calm her down. My in you can light the candle. Even if she was blind, she can't even see the candle. They should die to Mishavis Olabaner because she'll calm down. We want her to be calm and focused and chill. Even though she doesn't see. She needs oil, she needs uh, all kinds of stuff. Not a problem. Ointments. However, when you're doing the violation, if it's not urgent, if you're able to do it a little bit differently, then the act is done with a slight variation. For example, you need a vessel, you can stick, you know, a woman has big, big hair, she can stick the, 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 whatever, the light vessel she's carrying in her hair rather than in her hand. That's a change of usual process. But if it's not possible, bring it normally. Twelve. What about an idolater, an idolatrous woman, a woman who's an idolater, who goes into labor on Shabbos? In general, we learn that idolaters is very serious stuff. You can't help her have a child. Certainly not for free. But even if she pays you, 
Vein Cheshish in Leiva, you're not even worried about them being offended. Even though there's no desecration of Shabbos. And here we come to the whole rule of idolatry in Israel, which is one of the violations of the seven Noahide laws. This is a, an idolatrist who you really worships idols and, and so on. But of course, in today's world, uh, this wouldn't apply because uh, we live in a different world today of Iqbal Pascual. So most of the commentaries say this certainly doesn't apply today. Ava Mialdin as Basgertesha, but certainly you do help the daughter of a Gertoshev which means a non-Jew who settles in Israel and accepts upon himself to observe the seven Noahide laws, but not to become a Jew. Because we're obligated to sustain him along with the Jewish people. However, we do not violate the Shabbos for the woman who is in labor of the Ger Toshav. And the commentaries say that most of the time, people will understand that it's our Sabbath, and we're not allowed to violate the Sabbath. We can only violate the Sabbath for people who observe the Sabbath. But again, nowadays, the rule is that we treat non-Jews equally with Jews in order to keep the peace in the community. That's the way the society goes. And again, this is the study of Rambam. It's not a practical application of halacha. But uh, you can speak to certain Hatzalah members and they'll tell you how they act with regard to these issues. 13. Chayo Mishiaschel Hadom Liyashesis Achetelet. From the time the woman begins to have a flow of blood, or she goes into active labor, until she has, she gives birth. And even after she gives birth, for the first three days, there's life and death danger. You do everything you can. You violate Shabbos. You do whatever she needs. Whether she says, yes, I need it, you go do it, even though it violates the Shabbos. Even if she says, I don't need it, you do it, because somebody else said she needs it. From after three days after birth until seven, Imam if she doesn't say, I don't need it. By the way, I'm old enough to remember a woman went into the hospital to have a baby. She wouldn't come home for seven days, eight days, ten days. They used to have the bris in the hospital. Today, a woman goes in to have a baby, it's a drive in birth. She has the baby, and then uh, it's like McDonald's. You go around and you take her home. The DRGs. So, we're talking about three days, three to seven days. The Rambam was from the olden days. He grew up in New Jersey, by the way. Like me. I went to school with him. Um, from, so, from three to seven, she says, I don't need this done. Don't violate the Shabbos. If she was silent... She said nothing. Certainly if she said, I need it. Being that it's still within the seven-day period of birth, you violate the Shabbos. But from seven to thirty, unless there's an urgent issue and she's in a life and death 
situation. But ordinarily, she's considered a patient who is not in life endangerment, and that's the way you treat her. Even if she said, I need, and you have the non-Jew do it, as said before. You build a fire for a woman who's having a baby. Even in the summer, because there could be a chill, especially in cold regions. But for an ordinary sick person, there's no reason to kindle a fire uh, so that they can warm themselves up. And uh, obviously, if they're dangerously ill, you can kindle a fire. But we're talking about somebody who's not dangerously ill, according to most commentaries. Heik is dam What if a person does bloodletting, which was very common back then, and they took ill? You can make the flame. I feel a bit Corpus Thomas even in the summer. Omar Bishabas, you wash the newborn baby on Shabbos, on the day of birth. went after the umbilical cord is cut. I feel a Bishabas, you can even boil water on the Shabbos because it has to be sterile. you can put whatever medications are needed, herbs. You do whatever you need to do. Because the child is considered endangered. You've got to do for a newborn what you've got to do. You've got to clean them up and wash them up and put on whatever they did during that period of time, just as we do whatever we do during this period of time. And similarly speaking, you cleanse him well. Before the bris, before the circumcision, and after the circumcision, and even the third day of circumcision, with hot water, which were even cooked on Shabbos. If they, for some reason, were not prepared earlier, obviously it's better to prepare the water earlier. Because of the danger of life and death. God forbid a woman dies in childbirth. Maybe in Sakin B'Shabbos, then you bring a knife on Shabbos. I feel the Derech even going through carrying the knife in a public domain, and you do an emergency C-section. The Kedenes and you cut her belly, remove the child. Shema Yomotzechai, because perhaps the child will still be alive. Shesopik Nafsha, in the Foshes, Dechas HaShabbos, because Yes, it's true, the child may have died, or the child may... I mean, how could the child live for very long without sustenance? The child may have died, may not have died. A doubt of this type of thing violates the Shabbos. Even where we can't really presume that the fetus is alive, and of course today we have all kinds of machinery, all kinds of implements where we can listen to see if there's a heartbeat, monitor, and so on and so forth. Tezayin 16, anything may be done to save a life on Shabbos. You don't have to go chase down a rabbi and say, Rabbi, can I do this and this? You do it. There's no questions asked. The one who gets there first, this is a great mitzvah. Don't hesitate. 
Ketzad, for example, and there are a million examples, raw tinik shenofalayam, there's a guy, a fisherman, standing on the pier, and that's what he does, he fishes. He's standing there on the pier in a Shabbos. He sees a baby, a child, falls into the ocean, into the river. Petus Metzido, he happens to have a net nearby. He takes the net to Malayu and brings the child up. The problem is that that net is also going to come up with a lot of fish. And that's a major violation of Shabbos, hunting. The We don't care about the fact that he's going to bring fish with him. He's saving a life. We're not concerned with his violation of Shabbos. What if he heard that a child fell into the river or the ocean and he spreads his net and he brings lots of fish up, but no child? There's no violation here because he's trying to save a child. He's not trying to fish. Furthermore, if he was trying to fish, and he comes up with a baby too. Potter, he's exempt because the life-saving act of bringing the baby exempted him from the violation of fishing on Shabbos, which is a major violation of hunting. I feel even though he didn't hear that he drowned. Being that he brought up a baby with the fish, Potter, he's exempt. No faltinik leber seventeen. If a child fell into a pit, aker chulyo maleo, a person could dislodge a clod of earth and bring the child up. Afapishu masakim madrega bishasakirosi. Even though he's creating a step while he removes this earth, there's a child in the pit. It doesn't matter. Ninal delis vifneitinik. If a door gets locked, a child locks himself in. If need be, you can break the door and take the child out. Even though technically he's chopping wood into pieces, which is a major violation. Because we're concerned, even though there's no danger, the child locked himself into a room where there's no danger. We're concerned that the child will go through such panic and such fear that the child could die from panic and fear. Therefore, Shabbos laws don't matter. Go for it. No flood lake, a fire begins. Yes, when a fire begins, it depends. Is there any life endangerment? Direct, indirect. Obviously, if a fire begins in an inhabited community, there's always life endangerment because it'll spread. But the laws of fire are not simple on Shabbos, but one thing is simple. If there is a human being around that might be harmed, you extinguish the fire, to save him from the fire. Even though he's building roads, whatever it is he's doing, violating Shabbos, it doesn't, he's extinguishing. Anybody who gets there first is praiseworthy. Anything that involves a danger, you don't need to get permission from the courts. Just do it. 18. If an avalanche falls on someone, we're not really sure if the person is buried there or not. If you do what you have to do, if you find him living, 
Even though he was crushed, and chances are he'll never recover. If you still keep going, if he can live for another five minutes, that's also a mitzvah. If they checked him up till his stomach, uh, up to his nose, I'm sorry, if they checked up to his nose, there's no breathing, there's no life. Then you leave him there till after Shabbos. Because you're not going to save his life. You'll remove the body after Shabbos. Because there are violations involved in removing the body. What if they start clearing the avalanche and they find that there are people who have died in this process? They shouldn't say, okay, let's stop looking. They shouldn't assume that the people lower down are dead. Because maybe the person lower down will have survived. Could be there's an air pocket or something. It's possible in an avalanche type thing that the upper people will die. And the people on a lower level, buried lower, will survive. 20. Back to the laws of idolaters. And the fact that the Jewish people are not allowed to allow idolaters to be in Israel. Certainly not to assist them. What if there was a courtyard where there were idolaters and Jews? Even one Jew, and a thousand idolaters. And an avalanche came. You can do everything you can for all of them. Because there is one Jew there amongst all these idolaters. However, what if one of them left and went into another courtyard, and there fell upon him there? Perhaps the one that left and he was hit by the avalanche is the Jews. So you keep going. If they all left, and when they were being uprooted, one left, went into another courtyard, and an avalanche fell upon him. Then you do a meal, we have no idea who he is. Then you don't deal with it. Being that they were all removed, we can't assume that there was a Jew there amongst all these idolaters. Anybody was separated from them as they were traveling, we assume that he was separated from the majority. The majority were Jews, even though they were all uprooted. And one went to another courtyard, and an avalanche fell. You should remove the debris and do everything you can. These are complex laws. This only applies to idolaters, regular, non-idolatrous, non-Jews. We said before that we should save them along with the Jews. 22. Here's an interesting law and a famous law. What if somebody is journeying in the desert? And he lost count. He has no idea when Shabbos is. I guess his smartphone isn't working. 
He counts from the day he lost count. Shisha, six weekdays. On the Kadesh and he sanctifies his seventh day. Even though chances are he's in the wrong day. But that's his way of observing Shabbos. And he does the Kiddush, Shabbos, and the Havdalah, every day. Even the day that he makes Kiddush and Havdalah, he's allowed to do anything he has to in order to survive. If you're in the desert, you've got to violate Shabbos to survive. But not more than that. Not more than that. Because every day it might be Shabbos. If he knows for sure that today is the eighth day of his departure, or the fifteenth day of his departure, but he doesn't remember the day of the week, he knows that he didn't depart on Shabbos. <clears throat> then he may engage in labor that day. He certainly didn't leave for his caravan trip on Shabbos. But all the other days, except this, he only does what he has to to make a living. What if this expression is idolaters, but this includes all Gentiles? as he says in the commentaries, who lay siege to a Jewish city. The Rebbe often quoted this halacha from Shulchan Aruch when talking about the situation of Israel today being threatened by its neighbors. If... The siege is threatened for financial matters. Then you don't violate the Shabbos to battle them. You don't do war with them. That's if it's in the center of Israel. However, anywhere near the border, what we call today, I'm going to use a dirty word on the year, settlements, even if all these people from the surrounding nation, the, all they want is a little straw, a little hay. It's an economic issue. And it's only about money. You take weapons, and you desecrate the Shabbos, because when somebody attacks a border city, they may say that they're only interested in money, but they're endangering the entire land of Israel. And from here, the Rebbe brought out that this whole concept of land for peace is not a rational concept and is not a halacha concept. We don't have to do war in Israel when there are threats to border cities. Because of the sanctity of Israel, this has nothing to do with the sanctity of Israel. This has to do with life and death. This has to do with endangering a community, and technically this could be in France as well. Certainly everywhere, even in central Israel, or anywhere, in Bo, Aliske, Nefoshis, if they came 
for life and death, they're threatening, or they waged war, or they're just harassing, you take the best weapons you have, you desecrate the Shabbos, you don't hesitate for a minute. I'll, I'll never forget when my oldest son, Rabbi Yossi, got married. <clears throat> he got married in Jerusalem, in what was then called the Sheraton Plaza Hotel. And we were walking Friday night back from the, uh, wherever it is we were davening, probably the Koso, the Koto. I was walking with my father, a blessed memory, and we see an interesting sight which we don't usually see in New Jersey. We saw a guy with a Hasidic-looking hat and a Hasidic-looking coat with a big, uh, whatever, they, a rifle, a big gun, an Uzi, whatever he was carrying. On Shabbos, it's Friday night. We're not accustomed to seeing very religious-looking Jews with guns, with, with big uh, guns on Friday night. So we say, good Shabbos. He says, good Shabbos. Now, I have a big mouth. So, I used to be punished a lot for that. So, I, I turned to the guy and I said, you speak English? He said, yes. I said, is this gun loaded? He says, of course it is. If it wouldn't be loaded, I wouldn't be able to carry it on Shabbos. It would be muktza. It would be forbidden to touch. You're not allowed to touch a gun on Shabbos unless you need it. And if you need it, it better be loaded. Anyway, my father enjoyed that encounter. He says, ah, halacha at its best. Of course it has to be loaded. What do you think I'm carrying this for? Am I out? It's incumbent upon every Jew who is able to love to come and to go and assist their fellow brothers who are in a siege to save them from the hands of those who are threatening them on Shabbos. God forbid they should say, I'll wait till after Shabbos. You go on Shabbos. You travel on Shabbos. Once they save them, this is the halach I referred to before with the ambulances. Once they save them, they are permitted to return on Shabbos with their weapons. Why are you carrying your weapon? The crisis is over. Put your weapon down. No. You never put your weapon down. In order not to create a dangerous situation in the future where there's a problem and you don't have your weapon because it was Shabbos. You need your weapon. You're defending a community. How could you not have your weapon? 24. So also, if there's a sinking ship in sea, or a river is flooding a city. A city is being inundated by a river. It's incumbent upon everybody to go out on Shabbos to save them. Doing everything you can. Now is the wrong time to become religious and say it's Shabbos. There are people who might die. What Shabbos? Even one single individual is being pursued by bad guys. Or a snake 
or a bear. A bear is running after somebody to kill him. You say, excuse me, it's Shabbos, I can't save you. Mitzvah, it's a mitzvah to save him. I feel about seeing common blocks of Shabbos violate as many labors as you need to on Shabbos. I feel the sack and clay even repair your weapon or create a weapon. Mutter, it's permissible. And we're allowed to make supplication and sound trumpets, which was what they used to do in prayer. And to get help on Shabbos, to cry out to God. And this is permissible only when there's an immediate threat to human life. Other than that, we don't want to even speak of negative things on Shabbos. Which is why we don't make supplications because of a plague on Shabbos. We'll wait till after Shabbos. We try not to ruin the spirit of the Shabbos. And finally, 25. This is one of the longer chapters of Rambam. We can lay siege to idolatrous cities three days before Shabbos. We can declare war every day, even on Shabbos, until you conquer it, even though it's a war of expanding Israel. Even until you've subjugated it, even on Shabbos, certainly if the war is a war of defense, and the famous Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. When did that take place? Joshua conquered Jericho on Shabbos. End of this chapter in Rambam.